Well, good morning, everybody. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to the New Testament book of Philippians, chapter 2. And if you would grab a church Bible, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab a church Bible. It's page 831. While you're turning there, just my name is Joe Franzone, and I serve here as pastor. If you're new, you're very welcome. And um, yes, we're going to have a nice meal, Lord willing, after we're done. So just keep that in mind. If things go bad during the sermon, you could at least say there's a meal coming. So that uh, might help you. Now, I want to encourage you to have a Bible and keep it open because um, it's important in light of what we're going to read, what we are going to be talking about this morning. So just. Uh, Keep that before you. I'm going to just read a few verses. Well, verse 4. Here we go. Chapter 2, Philippians. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude, some translations, let this mind be in you as it was in Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to grasp, but he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And notice that singular, it's not plural. Do everything, this is our verses this morning, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. And we'll, we'll end there, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we want to ask your blessing over the men, all of them, and specifically God, Drew and Dalton and Ty and Tyler, we, we thank you that they're aware of your guardian grace and how you rescued them like you rescued us time and time again from ourselves, from just foolishness that we are so good at. And so I pray that you help every one of these gentlemen as they move along in life, reconciliation and enjoying their privileges in Jesus, that their lives would continue to be transformed that no harm would come to them, God, as you, you put your hand around them and over them. And, and this is for all the guys everywhere that are in any place in the thousand-plus centers that Teen Challenge um, has. So, God, we want at this moment for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, and we need grace Show us ourselves and show us our Savior as your word is preached. And please help me now in the massiveness of my weakness for Jesus' sake. Amen. 
I read this week that there is a tiny little insect. It lives in sub-Sahara Africa, and they travel in great colonies. And as they, as they move along, they give off this extremely irritating, irritating screeching, high-pitched noise. And the noise is, I'm going to try it. I've been practicing, not very good. <laughs> the noise is, me, 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 me. So everywhere they go, all you hear is me, 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 me. So what we have there is a little insect which is extremely preoccupied with itself, right? Now the reason why I say that is that is some of the backdrop for what is main and plain in the issue that is confronting the Philippian church. Uh, Essentially, they're so turned in upon themselves Instead of being interested in uh, bowing to Jesus, they have taken upon themselves to want people to bow to them. They are essentially pleasing only themselves. And so because of that, the joy that ought to be there in Jesus, it has eluded them. Beyond that, it's put a cloud over the fact that they are children of God. And as you look at verse 14, and just be honest, surely it's one of the great difficulties in our humanity inside the church and outside the church that we are incredibly hard to satisfy. By nature, contentment eludes us. By, by nature, part of our native tongue is complaining, verse 14, and arguing. Now, let's be honest. Hardly a day goes by when we either we do not hear or maybe even from our own lips complaining and arguing. It's the stuff of conversations. It's the stuff of mealtime. It's the stuff of meditation. Uh, Pull out complaining and arguing in, in our words. We might have a lot more quiet time at the table in a place like this or other places. So we have to ask ourselves, uh, we must listen to our speech, we must examine ourselves in these things because what is at stake, and this is crucial, is incalculable. And what I mean by this is that the church in Philippi was being called to essentially set its house in order, in order that God's purpose, singular, for them as a gospel community might be maintained, uh, fulfilled, and be... um, The medicine that the world needs. And so part of our lesson this morning is to discover, generally speaking now, when we lead with ourselves, which is much the problem here, when we lead with ourselves, that line of thought will always be the recipe for disaster. It's the nature of sin, right? In sin, we say no to God, we say yes to ourselves. And so generally speaking, when we lead with ourselves in every dimension of our life, um, then this is what we can expect, okay? The root, if you would, of arguing and complaining is that we are the source. It is is rare in our spiritual pilgrimage that when we lead with ourselves, when we we, we follow, if, if, if you would, our instincts or just our own mind first, something good will come out of that. The only thing that comes to my mind is that when I lead with myself asking for mercy, When I lead with myself asking for forgiveness, asking for patience from other people, and asking for grace to do God's will, generally that goes well. Every time else, not so well. And so you'll see in verses 12 and 13, which is not our concern, but it's going to help us get started, that the Apostle Paul, in light of the salvation that we have received, right? Not achieved, received. He writes to them, and you see this in verse 12 and 13. We're not to try to work up 
our salvation. We're not to try to work for our salvation. Rather, we are to work out our salvation. Literally, in the Greek, and you're, not, you're going to laugh at me, literally it means get down. <laughs> it means get after it. That's, that's the idea. Get after it. In Latin, it's machina, uh, machine, right? Because God's grace is working in you. And so have it, and you see that there at verse 13, with a proper sense of awe of who God is, uh, recognizing God is actually working out his good singular purpose in us. And God's purpose is not divided. Therefore, his children, uh, their direction, their affection, their conversation, has no business being divided as well. Why? Well, we have to realize that the power of God, who, who gives us the will and the power to fulfill his purpose, is actually being worked in us. Okay, what is God's purpose? Well, chapter 1, verse 6, you can see it there. Paul says to the church that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to compete it. What's the good work? Well, technically, it's when God connected the Philippian church to gospel ministry. That's what it is. That's the good work. So we're going to have the mind of Christ, verse 5, chapter 2, so that by dent of principle, we might behave like Christ, chapter 2, verse 6. Okay, what does that look like? It's the great work of gospel expansion. Gospel people who gospel the gospel. So this is not God telling us, or excuse me, this is not us telling God. Let me get that right. This is not us telling God, okay, God, here's my plan now, bless it. But rather, it is God telling man, here's my good purpose. Now you go live in my power for it. And so such wisdom needs to be applied to the ins and outs of life. Then Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, anticipates the question which would emerge, okay, in what areas are you speaking of, Paul, when we, you see it there, verse 15, the children of God, right? Not, not, not by a creation, which is true of every human being, but rather the children of God by regeneration, who have laid hold of this great and precious promise of salvation, who've been redeemed, okay? In what way are we to work out our salvation? And Paul, in that context, begins to give instruction, Not only in verse 14, but frankly throughout the whole letter. So that's our um, introduction. So in light of that, if you have a worship folder, you'll see this. I just wrote down some questions that I'm going to try to answer today. Here they are. Number one, what does it actually mean to complain and argue? Number two, is it possible to do everything without complaining and arguing? Number three, would you like to be in a context where there is no complaining and arguing? Number four, what will happen? If we don't complain and argue. Number five, can I give you some examples of men who did everything without complaining or arguing and what happened in those arrangements? Okay? So we're going to try to answer those and off we go. Number one, what does it actually mean to complain and argue? Well, first off, in this verse, this is uh, verse 14, it's written in what is called the imperative, which is a command. In other words, Jesus Christ Speaking through Paul the Apostle, commands his children, okay, which in his church, everywhere, his children, converted children, which, by the way, Jesus is the head of the church. He says that it is imperative that we do everything, verse 14, without complaining or arguing. So, do everything, literally it means No exceptions. In fact, the word everything is the Greek word pas. It means all part of life, one part of a time. 
Right? Without exception. So as life comes to you and you come in life one piece at a time, everything, no complaining, no arguing. Why? Verse 14, since you are the children of God. Verse 13, since God is working out his purpose in us, Christ says we are to do life in every area of life without complaining and arguing. Okay, so then what is complaining? Well, the word there is the same word that is used often about the Pharisees and what is described as muttering, murmuring, secret displeasure, right? It's secret displeasure rooted in the self, which is given, if you would, um, openly, but it's not like full blast. It's kind of like, people telling me what, you know, that kind of thing, right? So you can't say it completely, but you're saying enough. That's, that's the idea of complaining. And again, it's rooted in the self. A hymn comes to mind that says, The Lord is king, who then shall dare uh, resist his will, doubt his care, or murmur at his wise decrees. That's the idea. Murmur at God and murmur with one another. No complaining, no arguing. That's the second word there. Diagolos ismas. Okay, dialogue is the idea there. A calculation is the root word. A plotting, a line of thought which is self-based and therefore confused. In fact, that word for arguing is the same word you'll find in Romans chapter 14 verse 1, which is a debatable matter. There's not, there's not like nothing that you could come down on and say that's the way it should be. And that's what Paul is saying. Okay, so... Why are they, if you would, so confused? That's the idea of arguing. Well, arguing like complaining is rooted in our individual wills. Not being done. Let me say that again. Arguing and complaining, the root of it is when our individual wills are not being done, which gives rise, of course, to arguing and complaining as we clash either with the will of others or we clash with the will of God. Think of it this way. Arguing will do no good because it springs from or it is rooted in ourselves. And since God's purpose and not ours is to be our concern, his purpose, true, wise, good. Therefore, if we fall in line with his purpose, then no argument is needed. As it is only when we lead with ourselves do the fireworks begin. Now, I want you to listen to John Calvin on this. This is what he says. Every person has to learn carefully to submit themselves to God, ascribing nothing to themselves, behaving quietly among people. When everyone pleases themselves, two faults prevail. They contradict one another, and that leads to open contention. For complaining and arguing spring up whenever anyone is devoted to themselves beyond measure, leaving no place for God's purpose, which, are, which is our duty and our harmony. It's beautiful, isn't it? No complaining, no arguing. Why, Paul? Because the lion's share is that you are just rooted you in you. It's all about you. That's why you complain. That's why you argue. argue. God's purpose is so clear. Nobody needs to complain or argue about anything. That's number one. What does it actually mean to complain and argue? Number two, is it possible to do everything without complaining or arguing? Well, the short answer is yes. Do we do this? No. Must we do this? Yes. And here's why it's possible. Okay? Paul writes this epistle and others, and and don't let this throw you, in the indicative and imperative fashion. Okay, big words, not that hard to understand. This is what it means. 
There are things indicative, telling, true about every Christian, no matter who we are or where we have come from. Because God has done it for us. So example, chapter 1, verse 16. He who began a good work in you, he's going to be faithful to complete it. That's true of every Christian. So if you're like, no, he's not, you're like, wrong. It is an gospel indicative. This is true of every Christian. Or we say this to each other a lot here. And, and say this to yourselves in the morning. We can wake up every morning knowing that we're accepted by God, not because of our personal performance, but only on the infinite righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's justification. So we need to tell ourselves that often. That is true of every Christian, not caring what happened the night before. And so since that is true, that's the gospel indicative, it's imperative we behave like children of God. In other words, be what you are. We are to work out what, by, what God by his grace has put in, relying on the power of God to do it for us. Now, when you think about complaining and arguing, it is a sore fight to the end. Right? But what a glorious battle it is. Battling not with the flesh of other people, but battling with our own flesh. I mean, there is a nobility here. Right? No arguing, complaining. Right? About anything or anyone. Because when we do, verse 10, chapter 2, we would like to replace the name of Jesus with our name. That at the name of Joe, every knee should bow. And Joe can't help anybody. (laughs) Number three question. Okay? Number two, is it possible to do everything without complaining and arguing? Yeah. Number three, would you like to be in a context where there is no complaining or arguing. Now, now I hope that we would all answer yes to that question, right? I understand most social uh, arrangements, we have the potential of complaining or arguing. It's a terrible burden, right? But I was thinking about this when Brian Wilson, Tony Asher, and Mark, uh, Mike Love, they wrote songs together for the Beach Boys. And there's one song that I sing, in fact, I sang it yesterday to myself. And the song is, Wouldn't It Be Nice? Right? Would you like to be in a context where there's no complaining or, 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 or arguing? Wouldn't it be nice? Right? And here's the verse. Happy times get together we've been spending. I wish that every kiss, holy kiss, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, that's how Christians would greet one another. I wish that every kiss was never ending. Wouldn't it be nice? You bet it would be nice. Right? That's like a third grade kids when they're hanging out, you know, third graders, they put their arms around each other and every way they go, they're always together, and right? And they haven't discovered girls yet, so they're good with each other. It's great. We're, we're friends. Right? We're friends. I love you and, and, and I know you love me and we're going to go to heaven together and we are family and we've got work to do because we are children of God. Wouldn't it be nice No complaining, no arguing. And all our relationships beginning right here. You know, I was thinking that over the Christmas break in my household, God's truth, by God's grace, there was not one argument. (laughs) That's a miracle. My wife's going to kill me for saying that. But anyway, but (laughs) part of the reason was, you know, we knew that the kids were coming back from school and one of them, you know, is going to graduate, Lord willing. And that whole little, you're going to be home for four weeks, that ain't going to happen anymore. And so we, I think, but we hemmed ourselves in because we knew that we were going to miss that arrangement, something fierce. 
And I think God used that to keep us in check. You, you don't want your memories to be filled with, how come you didn't do that? Why didn't you do that? There's people that all the time that do that. Do you want that? Do you want that? Would you like to be in a context where there is no complaining and arguing, yes, God, yes, beginning with myself? Number four, question, what will happen if we don't complain and argue? Well, thankfully, the Bible tells us. Do you see it there? Paul begins, do everything without, this is verse 14, without grumbling or arguing, so that you may, here it goes, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a wicked and and warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Okay, so there's two things here. What will happen if we don't complain and argue? Thing number one, we will become what we are, children of God, shiny. And so essentially our winsomeness and our evangelistic appeal to the outsider, it's going to grow. And two, pastoral intent preserved. Let's start off with the first one. We become what we are, children of God, right? Shiny, evangelistic appeal, grow. Now, we should know that every Christian is a child of God by the grace of God in our salvation. So don't take a too uh, wooden look at verse 15 and say, okay, become means we aren't yet, so I'm going to have to do something to become a child of God. Or even, if you would, more of a child of God. No. In fact, the word become in the NIV is not really a great translation because the word can be interpreted Reveal yourself as what you are. Reveal yourself as being a child of God. In fact, in the King James, maybe English Standard Version, maybe blameless and innocent children of God. In other words, what Paul is saying there is be what you are, right? All calls to holiness in the New Testament are rooted in us being what we are. So it, so it won't be a competition against other people, Right? And what we are is a child of God. And children of God, Paul says, they don't complain. And they don't argue. Why? Well, one, God is their father. He told us not to. And two, God is actually, verse 13, working out his purpose in our life. And when they behave... This way, no complaining, no arguing, something wonderful happens. We stand out among the people of this world. We shine like stars holding firmly to the word, if you would, Christ, right? Okay, so you say, well, what word? Well, the word of God, okay, can you be a bit more precise? I think I can. Hold Christ, which says, work out your salvation, being in awe of God, Not arguing, not complaining, because when we do this, we are not behaving like children of God. We are more concerned with our words and our intentions than God's word and God's purpose. And since pagans live like that, they live with their own words guiding them and not God, we will stand out like a shiny star which illumines the work of God and the person of Christ in our life. And that, loved ones, is what the world needs to see. Now, I want you to think about this, and I'll let you judge for yourself. If you haven't had a catch in a while, if you haven't had a Jesus conversation in a while, where someone said, help me, something's different with you, then we need to think about these things. 
We need to think and be honest. Complaining and arguing is like dimming what Christ has done in me. That's the first thing. Second thing is Paul's pastoral intent. Do you see it there? Uh, Verse 14 at the end, 15. Actually, it's verse 16. You'll shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And this is what Paul says. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor in vain. In other words, this is Paul's pastoral heart. Guys, you know, I'm going to have to give an account of you before God on that great and glorious day. And I'm working really hard for you. Will you please help me? Will you please give some value to my work before God in your obedience, specifically working out your salvation with no arguing or complaining in order that you might be gospel attractive to others, a light bearer to the great redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, so that on that day when I stand before God and I have to give an account of you, I want to say, God, would you just look at them? They are such good children. Look how happy they are. Look how joyful they are. Look how shiny they are. They're quiet with the wrong things. They're well spoken in the things of Christ. They're good kids. That's question number four. Final question. Can I give an example of some men who did everything without complaining or arguing and what happened in those arrangements? I hope your Bible's open because I can. The first one is Paul himself. Chapter 1 verse 12. Do you see it there? He's in prison because of the gospel. He doesn't complain at all. He understands that God's purpose is actually being advanced in the gospel. And so he's reflecting on it more and more. And he's becoming more like Jesus Christ. And in his imprisonment, he finds a silver lining. What is it? Verse 14. Because of my chains, because I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the gospel more courageously and fearlessly. No complaining. Why, Paul? Gospel is being advanced. God is being praised. People are being helped. But there's more. Verse 15. He says, okay, you know what? Some even preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. In other words, Christ is being preached by men jealous of Paul and trying to cause him trouble when he's in prison. I mean, it's bad enough that he's in prison, right? But while he's in prison, do you see Paul's response? Verse 17. I don't care. What what does it matter? Let me take myself out of this. And as long as Christ is preached, right? That's the key. Not that any sermon is good. As long as Christ is preached, I'm really happy. I'm really happy. No complaining. No arguing. So, verse 27, that's why he says of chapter 1, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's what he's doing. Second illustration is Timothy, chapter 2, verse 20. You see it there? Paul says, I have no one else like Timothy. He keeps setting himself aside for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel. His interests, verse 40, 20, excuse me, takes a backseat to the welfare of the Philippian church. Get that? Paul's, or excuse me, Timothy's interest takes a backseat to the welfare of the church. And verse 21, his own interest takes a back seat to the interests of Jesus Christ. It's just Timothy putting himself in the back, putting himself in the back for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church. And because of this, no complaining, no arguing. Verse 22, you see it there? The gospel work continues. 
There's Epaphroditus, verse 30. I'll leave that for homework for you. But of course, the final and the supreme example and answer to the question of those who did everything without complaining or arguing is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And the Lord Jesus Christ is the one person who would have every right to complain and argue about a situation. Right? We sing the song, He came from heaven to earth. Okay, just start your complaining right there, Jesus. No. But what do you see? What are we told there? You see this in verse 6. In fact, I want you to follow along in your Bible. I'm going to read verse 6 and following from J.B. Phillips' translations. Listen to what he says. Although he had always been God by nature, he did not cling to his prerogatives as God's equal, but he stripped himself of all privilege by consenting to be a slave by nature and being born as a mortal man. And having become man, he humbled himself by living a life of utter obedience, even to the extent of dying. And the death he died was the death of a common criminal. That is why God has now lifted him so high and given him the name beyond all names so that at the name of Jesus, and only the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Now you understand this, right? Because Jesus did not argue or complain, you and I have the salvation that we enjoy. Do you believe that? Because Jesus said to the Father, whatever you want, Dad, whatever you want, I'm your son, you and I have our salvation. Jesus took our sin on himself without complaining or arguing. Do you know what that's like? He took our lies and he took our lust and he took our greed and he took our rage and he took our rebellion and he felt it in his psyche and he felt it in his body without complaining, without arguing in order that you and I could be rescued from God's wrath because of our complaining and because of our arguing which will lead to our sinning. So now we don't have to live a life of complaining or arguing. So you see, there it is. Now this is the line. There, there is this gospel intention. Why does Paul keep his mouth closed? Why does Timothy keep his mouth closed? Why does the Lord Jesus Christ, no complaining, no arguing, why? They set aside personal prerogatives, personal perspectives, personal preferences. The source, Paul says, of all our arguing and complaining. And since gospel attractiveness, chapter 2, verse 15, is at stake. And since chapter 2, verse 16, its advancement is at stake. Since every human life is precious, we come back full circle. And as we hear God's voice from God's word, we work out our salvation Meaning, get yourself, get myself out of the way. Empty yourself like Jesus did. Because arguing, like complaining, is rooted in our individual wills not being done. And of course, it gives rise to arguing and complaining. Therein neglecting the very purposes of God. The purposes of God are are good. The purpose of God is good. It's hard work. Gospel attractiveness is hard work. Gospel advancement, hard work. But there's great joy. Isn't it funny? The whole letter, Paul's trying to cheer the church up, and he's the one in prison. And so what the Bible tells us this morning is by God's grace, we set ourselves aside for the sake of the gospel. That's the main thing. That's that's the, the lasting thing. About five weeks ago, I had lunch with my 
daughter's boyfriend. It was good. I, I like him a lot. He, he's kind of a social activist, and so we had some great conversations. And he told me about this guy, Musafer Sheriff. And he, he is a psychologist. He passed away at the end of the 20th century. And one of the things he said is that when you give people an important enough problem to solve together, they can put aside their differences. He's not wrong, is he? You give me a gospel indicative and give me a gospel imperative, Paul says, I'll go to prison for the sake of the gospel. Timothy's like, I'll set my life aside for the sake of the gospel. Jesus is like, I will die for the sake of the gospel. I spent 30 minutes yesterday reading about the Super Bowl. It was good. It was free time, and so I read about the Super Bowl. And I read this quote from Tom Brady. You might know him. He's going to be quarterbacking one of the teams. <laughs> Listen to what he said. He said, you better be willing to give up your life because I've given up mine for football. Now listen to Jesus. John chapter 5 verse 17. My father is always at work. To this day he's at work. And I'm working too. You see the gospel destroys the pride we know. Which leads to arguing and complaining. Because God has put Jesus in our place. And when we grasp this grace, the horror of our sin given over to Jesus, this begins to humble us. And it can free us from ourselves, moving from everything as we like it to enjoying the God who portions it and gives it as God's purpose takes root in our life. And that was the purpose of Jesus. And that was the purpose of Timothy. And that was the purpose of Paul. And I believe it's the purpose of everyone here. We can do it. Together. I love you. Let's bow and pray. The guys come up. We're going to be taking an offering. While they're singing. So if the ushers would get ready too. Father, thank you that when we open our Bibles, it does some lovely things. It shows us our sin. It shows us our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it shows us the way that Jesus would have us live. I believe we all want that. And beginning with myself, God, we need lots of help. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. You guys